Hello, I'm Olivia, and I've been attending Man's Revival for about two years, and today I'll be reading Mark 9, 20 through 24. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Um, good to see you guys this morning. Did we have a video? I, I, maybe I'm wrong. So we, we did. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So we had a video. Um, anyways, <laughs> clearly I saw it. I just checking if you guys had. Um, my name is Matt Stevens. Um, I've been serving here at the church for about nine years now. And this morning we get to uh, go through some scripture with you guys together. I'm excited to do that. I just have to. Um, apologize up, uh, before here if I start coughing or, or clearing my throat a bunch. I was sick all week, and so I'm kind of just barely made it uh, today. And, and I just I want you guys to know that I'm not contagious, um, just so you know that too. Um, so anyway, we're going to look at the scripture here. It should start off kind of fun, and then it will end with something a little bit more serious. Uh, we're going to spend our time in Matthew chapter 17. So if you guys would turn there, uh, that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. You can also... Uh, Mark in your Bible, um, Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at that too. So Matthew 17, verse 1, says this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So details in the Bible matter, right? And so that's going to be a little bit of a theme this morning. We're going to look at a few of the details and tie them together. And we're going to see some reflection of some of the Old Testament scripture here in this, in this kind of section that we're looking at in the New Testament. Matthew was a gospel written primarily to a Jewish audience. So um, Matthew is trying to convince these Jews that, that Jesus was greater than Moses. A lot of that was going on, okay? And so and we see a reflection of what's happening in, in Exodus here in this where there, it says that they... Uh, were there for six days before they went up the mountain. Okay, this is just like when God had told Moses uh, to go up the mountain, Mount Sinai, for the law. All right, and it took six days before he went up. All right, so Jesus takes after six days with him Peter, James, and John. Now, have you ever wondered why it is that Jesus always takes these three guys with him to kind of get to go see all these cool things? All right, we have here the Mount of Transfiguration we're about to go into. And we have, you know, this little girl that had died and Jesus went into her home and healed her and brought her back from the dead. And he had with him there, Peter, James, and John, the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Jesus is there praying, like he has the disciples in one area, then he brings with him further in Peter, James, and John. Now, if you hear that, and, and the reality is the, the younger that you are, the, the more likely that it may be that you see that and, and see Jesus taking these three outside of the disciples and they're getting to kind of experience this extra stuff and think, well, that's not fair. Right? But here's the thing. Fairness is not a biblical value. 
okay? So let me explain that. So that thought of when you have, oh, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. Okay, when that thought enters your brain that you didn't create, that's in the body that you didn't make, that's sustained in life because of the air that's, that you're breathing because you didn't make that air, right? The fact that we have a chance of eternal life um, in, in, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, okay? And we did nothing, nothing to achieve that, right? Um, we, we are, it's grace alone and faith alone, okay? That's what's not fair, right? So this idea of fairness that we, that we get sometimes, yuck, okay? Like we gotta, we gotta break that mentality, all right? So let's keep going. Uh, so back to Peter, James, and John. Okay, now it's interesting because a lot of the commentaries also said this, that these were his three favorite, that they were the most faithful. They were the first disciples, that he liked them best. All right, John is even called the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Which is kind of funny because he's called that in the book of John, written by John, okay? Now, I'm not saying Jesus didn't love him, but we don't usually get to pick out our own nicknames, all right? So I'm gonna suggest something here that while that, all that may be very true, what if there's also another reason that Peter, James, and John were picked out all the time because they were also the three that got in trouble the most? Okay, so you think about it. They, they get here to the, to the mountain of transfiguration. They're camping out for six days. You know, Jesus says, okay, you guys do something, write some worship songs. I'm gonna head up the mountain. And then he's like, you know what? Peter, James, and John hop in the truck. Let's go. Okay, because if you look back one chapter in Matthew 16, Jesus calls Peter the devil. He says, get behind me, Satan, right? So, you know, if you think you have some emotional wounds from people calling you names growing up, just put yourself here. Think about the son of God calling you the devil, right? Like that's gonna take some serious counseling to work through. <laughs> a little further in, and in chapter 20 of Matthew, you have James and John that make a power play, right? They send their mom to Jesus to elevate themselves above the disciples, right? So, I, I mean, I'm just asking the question here, but what if these three were just kind of the biggest knuckleheads of the bunch, right? And Jesus said, no, I need to keep you guys a little bit closer, which really, that's good news for us, okay? Because if God can use these three guys, then he can use this dysfunctional family here to do much greater things than, than we can imagine, right? So that's good news. So verse two, and he was transfigured before them. So we don't know exactly what that means to, to be transfigured. It's this metaphysical term that says that, uh, that, that means that they recognized Jesus, but something happened. Like he, he um, looked different. He, his body changed. He was displaying his glory, right? And so the best kind of just simplest little illustration. So I, I have a picture of this up here. It's a peacock. Do we have that? There. Everybody knows what a peacock looks like. Let's go to the next one. Transfigured peacock. Okay, so we recognize it's the same thing right? But it looks different. There's a change that happens there. That there's a, a quote that I found that, that describes it like this, that his divinity is bursting forth through his humanity, okay? And that, that same person had another quote that I really liked, and it said that, you know, the, the miracle wasn't that Christ was, was transfigured on the Mount uh, of Transfiguration, um, but that, rather, for 33 years, he shrouded himself in humanity, right? That was the real miracle. I, I liked that. So anyway, so they're here on this mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them and here's how they describe it. Okay, Matthew describes it this way. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. The gospel of Luke describes it this way. He says that his face was changed and that his clothes were like a flash of lightning. Mark says it this way. 
Mark interviewed Peter and he describes it this way, that his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Okay, so this is how they're describing the transfiguration. His, his face shone like the sun. Like it was like a flash of lightning that, you know, in the dark flashed. It, it blinds you like some really well-washed clothes, okay? Um, so verse three, and it says, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So here's the thing. Us as, as 21st century Southern evangelicals, I don't know that we're as wowed by this that, that you know, Moses and Elijah are standing there with the glorified Christ as, we, as maybe we should be. But if you were a first century Jew and you saw Moses and Elijah there, you'd be freaking out, okay? Moses was the one who brought the law, right? Elijah was the major one of, the, of the, all the major prophets, okay? So this is what's happening right here on the mountain. The Bible is, is being personified, okay? It's the personification of the Bible right here on the mountain. So Romans 3, Paul says this way, uh, that no one will be justified by the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to a manifestation of righteousness that is apart from the law. So this is what's happening on the mountain. We have Moses, the law. We have Elijah, the prophets, and they're both bearing witness to the righteousness that God has sent for us on our behalf in Jesus. Okay, and the Bible's literally being personified. Okay, so this is a really big deal that's happening here. And, and try to picture this event, okay? We got Peter and James and John, they're up on the mountain, they're just taking all this in, and then just kind of poof, you know, out of nowhere, here's this guy with a, a beard and a staff and tablets, they're like, it's Moses, like what is Moses doing here? And then over here, poof, you know, out of nowhere, here's this other guy with a beard and a staff and like a name tag that says Elijah, okay? Or like fire from heaven, I, I don't know, but they, they see this and they can't believe what they're seeing and they're taking all this in. And then look what happens in verse four. And Peter said to Jesus, because of course, Peter, right? Think about this, okay? Again, Peter, James, and John, they're up on this mountain. They see Moses. He's been dead for 1,400 years, and now all of a sudden, here he is. You've got Elijah. He's been, he didn't even die. He's been gone for 900 years. He took like the Uber chariot up to heaven, and now he's back, right? And they're, they're seeing that they're both bearing witness to Jesus, the glorified Christ right there. So, Jesus, uh, so Peter is looking at all this. Okay, he's like, there's Moses, there's Elijah, there's Jesus. And then he thinks to himself, you know, I should probably say some words. So he leans in and says, Lord, it is good that we are here. How can you not love Peter, right? Okay, honestly, like this should give us some hope in our own walk with Christ, okay? That, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Let's just agree together this morning if we're ever in this situation that maybe it's not about us, right? So, um, because <laughs> have you ever said something dumb, right? Like, and as the dumb is leaving your mouth, you're like, oh no, you know? Like I said the quiet thing out loud. I mean, I think that's kind of what's happening here. And guys are usually the worst at this. You know, we, we mess up and we think, oh, what do I do? What can I fix? I know, I'll just say some more things. And that doesn't usually work out for us. So it says, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Mark describes it this way. He says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. So here's just a little biblical advice. When you don't know what to say, just don't, okay? Um, you know, Peter is essentially just blabbering here, right? And in just a minute, God is gonna show up and he's gonna rebuke Peter. You know, and, and possibly it's because 
because Peter's kind of put uh, Moses and Elijah and Jesus on this kind of same level and God's gonna show up and say, no, 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 these three are not equal. Okay, this is my son, the second person of the Trinity. But let's give Peter a little bit of benefit of the doubt here because I think it's very much like we are, all right? We love that mountaintop moment, right? We love that spiritual high that we get. I've had plenty and it all happened through youth camp usually. You know, every year at youth camp, you know, you go off to Colorado and you're in the mountains and you have all this time with the Lord and you know, with people and you just don't wanna leave that, right? You don't wanna leave that place. Uh, I know for eight years, Katie and I, we went to what's called the Linger Conference. And you know, it's basically just two days of just people teaching and just worshiping all day long. And you know, there's always a moment during that that time where you're just, this room, there's like a thousand people and they're just worshiping and, and song and you know, you've, you just, tears are running down your face and you just, you know that if you were to open your eyes, you would just be face to face with Jesus, right? Have you ever had one of those kind of moments, the spiritual mountaintop moment? Yeah, I think maybe that's kind of where Peter finds himself, okay? He's, he's there thinking, wow, like this is, this is awesome. We should just stay here. You know, this is why we've been following you. You know, I'll make some tents. We'll just, we'll just stay here in the presence of God forever. But here's the problem, is that Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain. Okay, moments in life matter, right? And those, those kind of spiritual mountaintop moments, they matter. Um, where, where the saints gather and we make much of Jesus and we're filled with his glory and his power. Um, and, you know, it's important. It is important. However, you know, we were not created just to sit and to soak in that moment. Okay, because the, the ministry happens down in the valley, right? And that's where we're headed here. Okay, that's exactly what's about to happen. Okay, in verse five, this is Peter, and he was still speaking. And some of us are like this, right? We love these moments so much, we never want to leave. And God bless you, but no. Like there, there comes a time where we take the worship that happens in here and it needs to go out there in the way that we live and serve one another. So, Matthew 17, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Okay, this is the same exact thing that God says about Jesus at his baptism. And then he also says, listen to him, which I'm pretty sure is Hebrew for shut your mouth. Okay, it's hard to hear when we're the ones doing all the talking, right? Y'all, the number of times that I've gone into prayer with the intent of, of seeking God for guidance uh, only to find myself kind of explaining every single, de single detail to him and even giving him like suggestions on how to fix things as though he doesn't know everything that's going on with everything all of the time, right? You know, I think it's a discipline to teach ourselves how to um, listen more and talk less. So God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased to listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. So why were they terrified? Well, they probably thought they were about to die. Okay, because these are, these are good Jewish boys. They knew the first five books of the Bible, the, the Old Testament, the Torah, okay? And they knew um, Exodus 19 and 20, where God uh, is giving the Ten Commandments and you see God descend on Mount Sinai as a cloud, okay? So they're, they're checking this out. They, they know that Moses had to consecrate himself before he went up the mountain and that if anyone else were to touch that mountain that had sin in their lives, they would die. Okay, so they're probably connecting all these dots now, right? Like they waited six days at the base of the mountain. Moses waited six days before he went up. Okay, when Moses went up, he brought three people with him. There's Peter, James, and John. There's three of them, uh-oh, you know? So they're starting to figure this out. 
And, and they're realizing, hey, we are sinners before a holy and just God. And so they thought, um, you know, they were going to die. So they fell down terrified. But look what happens. Verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Okay? And he never changes. But through the blood of Jesus, um, we have a new day and a new covenant Okay, and the, the post-resurrection believer, the fear of God is just different. Okay, we, God is to be honored. God is to be hallowed. God is to be revered and respected. But 189 times, Jesus refers to the sovereign king, ruler of the universe as our heavenly father. So the Bible says this in 1 John. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what does propitiation mean? It just means a sacrifice that appeases wrath. Or an even simpler way to say it would be just a payment that satisfies. So when Jesus pushes up and says, it is finished on the cross, he has satisfied the law of God. It has satisfied the justice of God. And it has satisfied the wrath of God. Which means that if you are in Christ today, God is not dissatisfied in you. Because he is completely satisfied in his son Jesus. Okay? So God is not frustrated with you. And we have access to him like a kid has to his father. My kids have access to me. Right? They can come to me at any point. They can interrupt me. They can grab hold of my hand. They can jump on me. They can lay down on the couch next to me. You can't do that with me. Right? Our kids have access to us that's different. Okay? And Jesus says here, arise and have no fear. Okay, because perfect love casts out fear, right? God demonstrated his perfect love for us, yet uh, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. So verse eight, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And by the way, that's how you deal with fear, okay? You fix your eyes on Jesus. Paul tells Timothy that God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, okay? And all those things only come through Jesus, Right, so fix our eyes on Jesus. So they lifted up their eyes. They saw no one but Jesus only. Verse nine. <clears throat> they were coming down the mountain. And Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. So he says, keep this to yourselves until I pull off Easter because nobody's gonna believe you anyway. All right. So he keeps, they're on the way down the mountain. He's basically sharing the gospel with them. And when they get down to the bottom of the mountain, they walk into a mess. Now pay attention here because the mess often follows the mountaintop. Right, and that's what we're about to look at. So let's turn over to Mark chapter nine now. So this is the same event that's in Matthew 17. All right, and I say event specifically. Like when we talk about the scripture, this is an actual event that took place. It's history, right? So um, we're looking at it from another perspective. Same story, different witness, okay? So they walk down the mountain, Peter, James, and John, Jesus, and they walk into a mess. Mark nine, we pick up in verse 14. It says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and they ran up and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Okay, so this is kind of like when you hear your kids fighting in the other room. And you're like, hey, what's going on in there? I'm like nothing, nothing. We're just sharing prayer requests or something. No, you're not. You're a liar and you're in trouble. Okay, this is what happened. Okay, so um, now notice this, that none of the disciples or the religious people are the ones who answer him. Okay, it says in verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams, at the, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. So again, don't think story, okay? This is happening. This is an event that happened. And if you've done Bible study before, you may even know how this ends, okay? But um, this guy is an actual dad. You know, he has a name. He has a job that he went to. He has a, a permanent address that he lived at, right? And his son has been seized by this demonic spirit and he doesn't know what to do, right? He's in utter desperation at this point. And um, you know, I think every parent knows this. There's no pain like kid pain, right? Um, you know, so this dad, you know, he'd heard this miracle worker showed up in town. And he's thinking to himself, you know, maybe, maybe he'd even heard some rumors about him. You know, he heard maybe this little girl had been raised from the dead, or he heard that this guy fed 5,000 people with a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, or, or that this guy walked on water, or that he commands the winds and the waves and they obey him, right? And he's thinking, you know, I've tried everything else, you know, because if your kid was sick, what wouldn't you do, right? I mean, you'd do anything, whatever it takes. You'd sell your house, you'd sell your car, you'd move where you needed to go, and maybe that's where this dad is. And he's thinking, you know, if I can just get my son to this miracle worker, maybe, just maybe, he can do something. So his dad shows up on the scene and he's, and, and with his son. And, and instead of doing anything about it, what happens with the disciples? Well, they get into an argument with the religious leaders. I can't help but think this reflects the modern church sometimes. You know, we have people that are in need they need hope, they need healing, you know, they need freedom. And instead, we spend a lot of our time and our energy throwing stones at each other online about who's not doing it right. So there's no pain like kid pain because there's no love like kid love, right? Like, I remember when my daughter was born, you know, you're in there in the delivery room and there's a lot going on. Um, and finally, when it's all done and, you know, um, they clean the baby up and they wrap it in that like burrito of love and they hand the baby to you. And you look down at this and you're just like, wow, you know, like in this moment, I would do anything for this child. I would give up my life for this child. You know, and that just, that, that gear of love is in there in all of us. And you know, it's, uh, no one tells you this. Like when your second one comes along, like I, I didn't, like I was like, how can I possibly love my second child the way I, I, I just gave all my love to this child. I don't know if I have anything left, but you know, I'm sure it works the same way for three, four, five, six, however many kids you end up having. Um, but like love is an inexhaustible resource and you love your second child, your third, your fourth, your fifth, the same exact way because God is love. That's why it's an inexhaustible resource, okay? So Jesus answers them. Verse 19, it says, O faithless generation. Now he's talking to the disciples and the religious leaders who ought to know better. He says, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Pay attention to this. In the New Testament, the demons are always the first ones to recognize Jesus and the religious people are the last. Why is that? Because the demons see Jesus for who he is, the son of God, and they fear him. And the religious people, they have a construct and he doesn't quite fit in that construct. You know what Jesus was criticized, criticized about more than anything else? Why are you hanging out with those people? Jesus said, I came for the sick, not the well. Verse 21, and Jesus asked uh, this father, how long has, he, has this been happening to him? 
And he said, from childhood. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It says childhood, not birth. Okay, he could have used a different word if he meant birth, which means that for a while, everything was all right. And then something happened. And he was seized and grinding his teeth and foaming at the mouth. And then the dad says this. And there's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Water. Like, why did I say that? I'm sorry. It's very proper. <laughs> um, because this is what the enemy does, right? What is our enemy's goal? To kill, to steal, and to destroy, right? And so think about this. They're at the Sea of Galilee here. Okay, they didn't have microwaves and stoves and ovens and all that. Okay, they cooked over an open fire three times a day, every single day. There's fire everywhere all the time. They lived by the Sea of Galilee, right? It's a whole body of water. So what is this dad saying? He's basically saying, every step of my son's life, the enemy is trying to take him away from me. And the dad makes his request. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. And notice he doesn't negotiate with Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, you know, what can I do to kind of get you to owe me a miracle? You know, can I um, give to your ministry? Can I, you know, say a certain prayer that gets you to kind of give me a miracle? Can I, you know, just be really good? I'll, I'll be at church for four weeks in a row. You know, that's not what he does. He just says, I've done nothing to deserve this, but I just need some help, God. Notice something else here that the dad doesn't say him. He says us, right? Because, you know, if there's something wrong with your kid, there's something wrong with your whole family, right? Verse 22. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Now, Remember where we're at here. We're in the middle of this crowd of people, religious leaders, disciples, all these people that are gathering and watching. And this dad is, is talking to Jesus. And it's, I'm blown, blown away a little bit by his response. It says immediately. So he doesn't kind of check around. He's not worried about what's going on around him. He says immediately. The father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. He says, I want to believe. That's why I'm here. You know, I'm not 100% sure. I, I want to believe this. You know, and don't forget, like, during this, like, his, his child is on the ground, right, seizing and convulsing and all this stuff is going on. You know, I want to believe, but I've got this huge pile of unbelief here. You know, I, uh, the reality is, is that my belief is small. My unbelief is huge. This is probably one of the most honest prayers that you'll hear. Have you ever been there? You've been in one of these, maybe not this exact situation. Let's, maybe you have a prodigal son or daughter, you know? And for a while now you believe the lies of the enemy that you did something wrong. You know, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought I, I raised them right. I, I sent them to VBS every year and, and, you know, they were baptized when they were seven and they were saved at church camp every year, you know? But now... They've cursed God, they've cursed you, and you feel like they're ruining their life, and you know, it's, it's dragging your whole family down. And you're saying to yourself, God, why not my kid? Why can't you do something about my child? But some of us feel like we're in an impossible marriage. You said your vows, and you said, I do. And you meant it. But it doesn't seem like they did, right? And you, you go and you say, God, I, I believe that you can restore my marriage. Then you show up to church maybe and you see all the other couples and you seem, it seems like it worked out well for them and you ask yourself, 
Why not my marriage, God? Why can't you do something about that? I believe, I want to believe, but I've got this unbelief here about a sickness. Maybe you went to the doctor. You got a, a bad diagnosis, right? And circumstances don't look good. And you believe that God can heal you. You believe it, but it doesn't sound good. But an addiction, you might struggle with any addictions. You've, you've prayed and over and over and over and over again, you fail. You know, you've maybe heard about some people that prayed uh, for God to take away that desire, but that's not your story. You know, maybe you prayed for that and it just hasn't happened. So maybe you come before the Lord and you say, I believe, I need some help here. Now, I've been there. Just this month, two years ago, my, my uh, brother-in-law passed away. Um, he, was a, he was in jiu-jitsu and there was an accident. He went um, into the doctor. They said everything was fine. They sent him home. And a few hours later, um, he had a stroke and ended up passing away. You know, and in that moment, I'm looking at the situation and you've got this healthy father. He's 40 years old, perfectly healthy. You know, he's got his family, young family. He's got two kids, one that's two years old and one that's, I think, four years old at the time. And God, there's a billion people in the world. Why them? Why did that happen to them? You know, that's the, that's the honest thoughts that go running through your brain in those moments, right? When I was in high school, my senior year of high school, my dad left, kind of abandoned our family, right? And, you know, I had, it was a difficult time, right? There's, I felt like I had to kind of step into a role that I, I wasn't ready for and maybe I, I never was intended to be in for my family at that time. You know, it changed the whole trajectory of my life, right? And I'm, I, at the, in, the, in the time, at the time, I'm thinking, well, God, I, you know, I did good in school. I didn't go to parties. I didn't get in trouble. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do any of that stuff. I went to church every Wednesday and every Sunday. Why is this happening? You know, I believe that you can make good out of, out of any situation. You gotta help me here. Help me understand this. So that's maybe where this dad is, right? So this isn't a story. This isn't a fairy tale. This is a, a real dad with a real problem with a real son. And he just makes this honest prayer. He says, I, I believe, but help me with all this unbelief. I'm just gonna lay it before you, Jesus. And notice what Jesus doesn't do here. He doesn't tell his dad, okay, you need, you need to go away for a little bit. You know, get your faith up to like miracle level and then come on back and then we'll kind of figure this out. Let's read what he says. Verse 25. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you. Come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying and convulsing terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. And most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. So let me ask this. <clears throat> Is prayer your first response or your last resort? Because I think what was happening here is that the disciples had been traveling along with Jesus for a while now, right? They had seen him cast out demons before. They had seen the things that he'd done and the things that he had said. And I think maybe they were just mimicking his actions, mimicking what he had done without actually being plugged into the power that Jesus has. So let me put it another way. If the Holy Spirit were to leave your house today, how long would it take you to realize that? 
Are you just raising your family on good, kind of conservative moral values? Or are you actually plugged in to the power and the Holy Spirit that's been given to us? So he says this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So maybe this is something that we can gather from this whole event in the Mount Transfiguration, that God reveals himself to us not that it was just that we can sit and soak in that moment, but that we can be sent and serve on a mission, okay? And that mission happens down the valley, right? And so today, like, I, wanna, I want us to do this. We're going to spend some time at the end of service where we're just going to pray, right? We're going to invite you to pray. Um, you know, remember this, right? That eventually, eventually, we're all going to be healed, Like we're gonna be before Christ one day. It says he's gonna wipe away every tear, every pain, every hurt, every disease will be gone. But on this side of heaven, he says you have not because you ask not. So that's why we're gonna pray. So I didn't do this first service, but what I'd like is if there's any, if there's elders, deacons, any staff, any um, small group leaders, like at the point of the end of service, if you wouldn't mind coming up front, and I know we don't do this a lot, but just come up front and make yourselves available to pray with someone if they want some prayer, right? Just come forward. We're gonna have that time at the end of service in just a few minutes, or you can come stand up here now. It's gonna be a few more minutes. We'll go through this, but we wanna invite you to come and pray this morning. So you've got that prodigal son or daughter, and look, I get it. You've probably prayed 10,000 times before. But come forward and pray this morning in the same spirit that the Father came that we're reading about in this story. That I believe, God, I believe you can do something with my son or daughter, but help me with this unbelief. You know, I, you have a, maybe it's, you just need to come on behalf of someone else that you know, like the Father did. The son was going, was, was the one that was possessed. The Father came on his behalf, okay? Or, or maybe you have this, this stuff that's going on in your marriage and you just, you need Jesus to get in there and just fix some things, right? Come and pray. You have a a health issue that's going on right now. Come and pray. You have some fear that's just crippling you and has paralyzed you. Come forward and pray. Like acknowledge it and say, God, I I know that you can solve this, but help me with this unbelief. Maybe you're harboring some unforgiveness in your life, right? And it's causing a bitterness to kind of just swell within you and it, it just, it comes out on everyone else. Right, and it's affecting your life. Or maybe, maybe you, you've heard the gospel message and you know that Jesus forgives sins but you feel like your sin is just too great. God can't do anything with that. Come and acknowledge that. Say that this morning. God, I, I believe that you can do something. Help me. You struggle with depression or anxiety? You know, come forward. Let's, let's pray to the Lord, Okay. I mean, here's the thing, guys. Those are, it's a lot of it's just sin in our own lives, but you know, there's, I don't know. Do you believe the demonic exists? I do. It's, it's the only way I can explain some of the things that are happening in our world sometimes, right? So, I mean, just think about people with addictions, right? They're struggling with alcohol or drugs or pornography. I mean, what do you think that is? You know, you've made a promise to quit a million times. You know where it leads. It leads to destruction. And here on Sunday morning, maybe you feel you got power over it, right? 
I got some power over it. But by Tuesday, something that's baiting you down that road and is blaming you for walking down it. What do you think that is? I think our battle isn't against flesh and blood. And I think we need to do what the Bible instructs us to do. Okay, and look at James. We're gonna look at James' brother of Jesus real quick. James 5, 13, it says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. This whole section is really interesting. It's power of prayer at work. I just wanna finish reading it. Um, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's not because of that righteous person, right? It's because the one we're praying to is so good. So I want to end with this. We're going to just see how Jesus closes in the end of Matthew 17. It says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So this morning, if you have the tiniest speck of faith, Jesus says, That's plenty. Because the littlest speck of faith in um, an infinitely powerful God is infinitely more powerful than trusting in your own circumstances. So whether you've prayed for these things 10,000 times or this is the first time that you're gonna say it out loud, God invites us all in to pray, to trust him, um, and ultimately that we would draw closer, not just just to be blessed, but to be closer to the one who actually blesses us so that we can say, God, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So if, if you don't mind, I think Alan's gonna come up and just play some music. We're just gonna take just two to five minutes and we're gonna pray. So if those of you that wanna come and be available to, to be prayed for, I don't even mind if we dim the lights back down to like the worship setting or whatever, that's fine. But we just, I don't want us to rush out of here. I know that we're already a little bit past, okay? But like, this is important. If you need prayer, or if you want to just pray in your seat with your family or friend or whoever you're with, or if you just need to pray alone, just take the next couple of minutes, okay, and let's pray for those things. Say, God, I, I've got this going on. I, I believe that you can do something about it. I believe that. But it's, I, it's tough. Let's just make an honest prayer to God this morning. Help my unbelief. So let's just close, let's close your eyes for a little bit and, and I'll pray for us at the end. And you know, if there's still some praying going on, if you guys wouldn't mind when you leave, just, just get up and we can meet out in the lobby. And if people are still being prayed for here, um, then we'll just kind of exit and let them kind of have some time, okay?
Father. I'm just thinking of the tune that plays while we're doing this. And Lord, I need you. Every hour, every day, I need you. You know, I think I think we know that. We may even believe that. Um, but sometimes it, our lives just don't, our thoughts don't reflect that. It's a good reminder. God, in all the situations that are going on, and look, the reality is, is that we come to church a lot of times and, and act as though everything is fine, that things are going good, when there's some real struggles that are happening in our lives. And we need to pray about those things. We need to give them over to you. We need to admit um, the week. I mean, we, I mean, you've been, a lot of us are doing it on our own already. You know, it's not working clearly. And we just need to give them over to you in the same way that this father does. I believe, but help my unbelief, God. God, we, we do need you every hour, every day. You're our righteousness and you're our holiness. Like it's only because of Jesus that we have any hope. It's nothing that we do or have done. God, we struggle. But, but what a hope we have in Christ. So we thank you for that, God. We praise you for that. It's the reason why we gather. It's why we submit our lives to you. So God, we, we know that you can restore. We trust that you will help us overcome that. God, we love you. We trust you. In your name we pray, amen.